Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Hello and welcome to another fun episode of Discovered Wordsmith, and I'm very excited for this episode. It's a bit different this time. Uh, first of all, we've got Roland kicking things off, talking with him about author things again. And uh, he and I always have a great discussion. He's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on. You've probably heard him on some more book show. And uh, he's got his own fitness uh, books that he's got out. Uh, I put a link to his website. So keep up with Roland, check him out, uh, see what's going on. But he and I have a good talk about some author-related issues that have come up in the news and around the industry. So it's always fun. And then I have a different interview than normal with Jacob Way from Deepwater Gaming. I ran into not Jacob, but Deepwater Gaming in conjunction with uh, their comic book group with Oxide Media. Uh, they've separated and Deepwater Gaming's on its own. But at the time, it was at a fan convention in Cleveland, and it was a booth that had independent games and comic books that the companies were selling and combining the two. So it was, I was like, oh, I love that. I want to find out more. And Jacob and I have a great conversation talking about doing things, things authors can do besides the books, the games and the comics, and being creative in ways other than the books, which in this case involves games. Plus, we touch a little bit on kids and encouraging them for this type of thing, which is something I've talked about, that kids can make games now. Kids can write stories now. They can make comics, get together and draw and write comics. And when they get to be out of school, they've already got some experience. They understand it better rather than getting out of school and wondering, can I do this? They've already know they can. And I have another interview coming up of a 16 year old that published his own book. So it is some very exciting stuff to listen to. And Jacob's very fun to talk to. We rambled for over an hour. So it's a great discussion. We keep going and going. So I hope everybody gets something out of it. It's only one episode this week rather than uh, the two because it is different and it's not focused on books. So enjoy. Well, hey, it's good to see you again and uh, in in the new second month of the new year already. <laughs> I know. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah, it actually I, does. I wish but, we would slow down. <laughs> exactly. So let's see what 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 great topics and new things have you seen going on uh, to talk about? Gosh, there's so many things that have kind of come <laughs> up and right lately. Um, yeah, but it's like I think that the one of the the best news, I guess, for authors is that we're finally seeing some more movement from Amazon in sort of making things right in the returns category. Yes, so. You know, I don't know if this has ever affected you or or authors that you know, but you know, in like P 
people on TikTok have been sharing like almost how to use Amazon as a library, right? Yes. So you buy a book, read it, return it, buy the next book, read it, return it. And Amazon just kind of let it happen. And so they finally put up, you know, and they their rules have said that you can't do this, but they just didn't do anything to stop it. Right. Abusers will be banned or, you know, we won't stand for abuse, but they didn't ever like, you know, they just didn't look. It's just an automated system. So um so the authors guild got involved and um they made i wouldn't say I, i'm not, never going to say the authors guild made a stink but you know they uh they stirred the pot a, a little bit and um got 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 some movement it was a little the, bit I, more weight than just some individual indie authors that sold a thousand books it, yeah it exactly group, yeah yeah so there were i mean i think Obviously, I think the, that those some of those individual authors that they banded together, there were petitions and things like that, and that probably spurred the Authors Guild to to do something similar to how you know um, Sifwa, the sci-fi the sci-fi um, authors group a couple of years ago um, banded together to get Disney to start paying their their creators yes. when they were not right. Yeah, so and, it start, and, oh, that was a big issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it starts with the, you know, it's, it just kind of goes to show that, like, it, there is benefit. To, you might think that you're just one author and you can't do anything, and it's really hard as one author to do it. But if you get two, and then you get a dozen, you get, you know, it's like, yeah, Amazon still might not notice, but then maybe the Authors Guild will notice, and then the Authors Guild has, you know, knows representat representatives there, and then maybe they, maybe something can be done. Right. Um, I think another part of it in this particular situation is that it was probably somebody probably in Amazon probably noticed, oh, these people on TikTok are showing people how to do this. Like, how embarrassing for them to just let this continue. Right. right. It, it makes Apple look good and Kobo and everybody else, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, so it's like, it could be embarrassing. I believe it made a couple of big newspapers and stuff way back when, you know, that this stuff was right. happening. So eventually somebody at Apple, probably some executive probably said, um, is this true that, you know, we can, we do this and we're, you know, people are showing how to cheat the system and we're just letting it happen. Yes. Oh, we'll stop that. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and so then, Sorry, uh, the part that bothers me even the most, even more than a corporate doing something that's, you know, in their favor or whatever, but it's the people that are doing this. It's like, wow, I love this author. I love this book, but I don't want to support it. But then they turn around and they'll complain that this book wasn't well written or it didn't keep my interest or something. It's like, well, you can't have both worlds, folks. You can't take this artistic endeavor that somebody spent hours and weeks and months and stuff to create and expect it for free and then expect the quality to be the same as, you know, something that uh, you paid 15, 20 bucks for. It, it doesn't, you, you got to support them and give them the love. And I know there are others that will definitely say, you know, especially live author tables, they'll say, oh, your book's $15. Well, here's 20, keep the change for you. Or, you know, they appreciate the author. Right. They know if the author is making money, they will continue to write something that entertains me. And books are such a good deal. You know, video games are a good deal that people don't realize. 60 bucks for like 20 hours of enjoyment. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, but books can be, you know, 10, 12 hours of enjoyment for five, six bucks sometimes. So that's a pretty good deal uh, that yeah, people don't yeah. realize. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's if you want to can keep reading great books, 
by your favorite authors, you have to find a way to support them. And it's not, doesn't, you know, it's, it's not that much, it's not that expensive. And if you, you know, I'm not going to preach the library thing because not, you know, it's like people say, well, I can't always find the book in the library, but it's true, but you can request the books in the library. You can do your part to kind of get things going. Right. And, you know, yeah, just do what you do, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's easy to help them out. And the library thing, uh, you know, if you are interested in a book, I know the libraries Hoopla and Overdrive. I've had my book with no advertising get checked out of Hoopla and Overdrive. And it's like, great, somebody got the book, they read it. You know, they didn't buy it from me, but they got to read it. And everybody's happy that way. It keeps the libraries going, keeps me going. And they got to read the book and and they still didn't have to pay anything. I just, this cheating the system <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I remember clear back in the Commodore 64 days, I had a bunch of friends that they had a, a computer club. And basically it was, let's get together and copy each other's games so we don't have to pay for them. And it's like, well, you guys can't complain about having bad games if you're not paying for them and you don't support the people that are making them because they're being like, oh, well, we didn't make money. I guess we're not doing another one. <laughs> I don't understand that concept. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. I guess, go ahead. You're no, no, I was just going to say, what else you got, man? Well, I think that the AI stuff continues to be in the news. And there's not, I mean, there was some specific, a couple of specific ones that went around. One where um, a um, somebody made a, like a graphic novel using AI yeah. art. He wrote the story, he or she, or they, they wrote the story and they designed some basic artwork and then used AI to create the panels and, and everything. And it was copyrighted, copyrighted copy. It was able to, the copyright office approved it. <laughs> and uh, I don't have Grammarly in my brain. So I have copyrighten, copy <laughs> right. And um, so it was approved. And then later on it was retracted. And, but I, I believe that will probably be overturned because, I mean, the way it was the way it was done, I think is a, you know, it wasn't using anybody else's stuff, and the fact that it were like they they it's like they misread it. The copyright office mis I think somebody complained, and they you know sort of knee jerk pulled it back, yeah. and said, well, I, I, we can't copyright something by an AI, and it's like, well, it's not by an AI. It's like I created it. I used AI tools just like I would use you know something else, but. I think the biggest takeaway for me is that like in that particular case, it, it was a good experiment and um, I hope that that gets, goes through. But if you are an author and you're considering using AI, just be careful and ask yourself, like, is it worth it yet right now before things are settled? Because the, like, I think the biggest example is Things are flip-flopping back and forth as far as AI artwork and AI um, stock photos, right? Is it, you know, is you know, there's a big thing where I think some I think Getty Images, they found the watermark and some of their things actually mixed in with AI stuff. So obviously that image was taken, quote unquote, right. and and merged in with, you know, the AI algorithms to create this stuff. And so it's not just that it's learning from these images. It's actually taking pieces of it and, you know, reformulating them and sticking them back in. 
and AI is not smart enough to take a watermark or, <laughs> right. or skip ones that have watermarks. So, um, so like a lot of, and then, so I think the point here is that there's so many questions and is it really like a book cover from a reputable designer using reputable non-AI art doesn't cost that much compared to the risk you're taking right now by using that. And sure. the risk comes from a, from a couple different directions. The risk is um, financial. Like what if you are sued? Like, you know, like fear the, you know, the eventually it gets down to you and like, you know, like you're, you're like, because even if you win, you lose, especially as a small business person, which an author is. If you get sued, it takes you time, money, energy, emotional energy to defend yourself right? So the fact that you will one day win is almost irrelevant, right? It could ruin you. And then, yay, I won. <laughs> and now you're in the poor house, right? Right. Or your spirit is broken, right? So, so that's one thing. And the other thing is like, there's been a big backlash sometimes, like when somebody even suspects that something was created with AI. So mm -hmm. Um, I saw a thing where an artist created stuff from scratch. He showed examples of of him making these art, these pieces of art, um, like, and he put the pictures up somewhere, and he got banned. We don't accept AI art here. You're banned, right? And he's like, wait a minute, but and he was banned. He couldn't even come in to defend himself. Right. That right? Yeah, that's a problem yeah. in itself. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that's a direct example of what could happen to an author. Um, but there is one where an author, a science fiction author, I don't remember his name, is a famous science fiction author, and his publisher used AI art in the creation of his, like, like an, a book design. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? So the the AI stock photo was used and then further manipulated by the cover designer to make like a pretty cool looking astronaut. And, um, you know, there's people that are not buying the book because of that. There are people that are give, sending him hate mail, even though he had nothing to do with it. Right. I mean, he's a traditionally published author. Like somebody else made the cover. Like he didn't choose it. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. If he's traditional, that's the the corporate, the company, the publishing house. He probably may not have even been able to approve or not approve. You know, he, yeah. he may have yeah. said, well, I saw the cover on the shelf when you did. So what do I know? Yeah, and like, I don't know. and I and I think in this case, like he said, he approved it, right? But I don't know that he approved that it was made with AI. Like he's like, here's right. the cover. What do you think? Oh, it looks great. Right. Exactly. Right. I, I don't like if somebody like I, I'm a traditionally published author, and when they showed me my cover, I didn't say, you know, do you have like like what are the sources of all of those uh, images you use? That's the publisher's problem, right? Right. Like it's not going to affect me. They're the ones that made it. Right. Yeah. So just be careful weigh the cost the dollar cost the emotional cost the energy cost the time that you could that you could lose by just choosing to go the ai route right and when it comes to a cover remember that the art is only one part of the cover the cover does not like so just because you can now use ai art doesn't mean that you're a cover designer right right it, it just means that you can find the art that you that's Per, quote unquote, perfect for your book. Right. And is that, is that worth it? Um, because I've seen some, some cover, I mean, some people are great cover designers 
So whether they use AI art or non-AI art, it looks it looks really good. But I've seen some other people that like, oh, <clears throat> now that their AI art exists, I'm going to make my own cover. And I'm like, well, it still looks crap, like crap. I mean, or it, it <laughs> right. doesn't fit with your genre. Like it doesn't right. set the right expectations. So you're still not a cover designer just because you have AI art. It would be just like going on to getting images, finding the perfect image and saying, oh, because of the, I found beautiful art. I can now be a cover, make make a cover. It's not true, right? And, not and true. the the AI thing is huge. The conference I was just at with work uh, this week, there were several sessions. One talked about Chat GPT, and um, another one talked about the metaverse and new availability for uh, business and all that. So, I mean, it's huge that these topics are coming up now in big conferences like this. And I, I've thought of doing the same thing with the AI art. Uh, my book, I wanted to do a comic book prequel, just three, four pages of the battle that's going on at, when mm. the book starts. It's in, in media ray. So what's happening before that? It was always my idea to do a comic book. And I thought, oh, AI art. But now the problem is if I create something using AI art, but it's my character, my stories, would then using the art invalidate things and and you know if I tried to copyright it and cause problems because of the art or would uh, I have to put it out public domain? Well, now is my whole character and stories available for anybody? Not that everybody's clamoring to get my character and stories, but that's an issue, you know that y- you got to think about if if it was you know J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter and then suddenly they did buy it. And they're like, well, wait a second. You you put everything out. Now it's public domain. We can't do your story. Just think about that. We wouldn't have Harry Potter. You know, so uh, it, it, yeah. I see what you're saying with there's multiple issues people don't realize, but it's early and just beginning. So that's why everything's still in turmoil. You know, five years, 10 yeah. years from now, things will have worked themselves out to some point and it's not going away. So something's going to have to get figured out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so if you do choose to do something like I've seen, like, you know, disclose it as well. Right. right. So like, like there's AI audiobooks, AI narrated audiobooks, and like, you know, on that's big like, now too. <laughs> yeah. So like on, on Google play, you can get them and on Apple, you can get them. And I think right. on Co- Kobo, you can, you, you can get some of them. Um, sometimes I don't know how Kobo and Apple lists them as digital, like, but like, I really feel like you have to really set the right expectations that this is like what you're going to get, you know? Right, right. So people don't, you. so it's just, you're not trying to mislead. It may, it may sound great and people may be happy, but somebody's going to come along at some point and say, um, you tricked me into buying in this book. I expect, I expected a human narrator and it was a, a robot and, um, Right. One 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 star. <laughs> I why why didn't this book have more romance? Well, because it's a middle grade fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought it was a romance, one star. That's a whole nother problem to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So I think on Google Play it says that it's digital, but I you know, right. but it's not. But but I've also seen authors put it in the description in bigger, you know, in bigger, bigger not bigger letters, but in like very specific at the top. So to make it make it very clear what people are getting out of it. Also, like if you're, you know, like I've seen people do both have a digital book, a digitally narrated book and a traditionally narrated book with a human and, you know, two different prices and you have to differentiate one versus the other um, right. just so you people buy the right version, the version that they want. 
right? I, I, yeah, that I've thought about that. But you know, the costs again. If I'm spending, let's say, fifteen hundred dollars to get a novella or something read and edited and out, you know, that's a whole lot of books and audiobooks I've got to sell, even to recoup my cost. Mm-hmm. And if you know, most authors are selling a thousand or less of their book. You're you're not really recouping the cost, so that's where the digital is very appealing. Um, yeah. You know, so I I mean personally, I see that as oh yeah, I, I can understand doing that because I don't have a problem listening to it a lot of times, depending on how good it really is. It's mm-hmm. gotten better, and I can understand why people would do it just from a, a cost standpoint. Uh, yeah. For that. So uh, that's another area. It's changing so quickly and so much. A year ago, it wasn't even an issue. And now we've got several places where you can do it. So yeah. it's nobody th- knows. Yeah. I think there are three, uh, I'm going to say three areas. I'm thinking off the cuff here. Three areas where AI, where I do recommend people, authors use AI or at least play around with it. Um, one is with, editing tools, you know, pro writing aid, Grammarly, yes. things like things like that, because it's just, you, you know, you're cleaning stuff up before you go to your editor. Right. And that's big. That can save you some money it, because it makes the editor's job easier. Like, I don't think it's a um, perfect replacement for a human editor, but because um, it doesn't, it does, just doesn't always understand what you mean. Like it's, yes. I see what you say and that's incorrect. I'm like, no, that's not what I meant though. So yeah. I use but pro it, writing aid and it is a wonderful learning tool. If you approach it with that mindset, that's a learning tool, not a replacement mm-hmm. editor because yeah. I've learned, Oh, this is why it's telling me to change this and why it makes my writing better. And then once I learn that and I write that way, I'm like, I can see that this sounds better than the way I would have written it before. And it's a great learning tool in that regard. Plus it's a learning tool because it'll make suggestions and you're like, no, 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 that does not work for what I'm writing here. And I, you know, so it's a learning tool the other way where you can understand why you don't want to use a suggestion instead of just blindly. Oh, I guess I'll do that. I, yeah, I love it yeah. for that aspect. Yeah. So that's one. The other one is for people who get like writer's block or stuck, there are some of these chat tools where you can like give, like sort of tell it where you are in your story and it will like spit out some suggestions. And you can, I mean, the prose is not like, you, you're not just going to copy and paste it in there, but you're going to read it and you're going to go, oh, that's an interesting way to go. And then like, you can keep playing around with this. I mean, it's your ideas. You know, it's like having a a writing partner, like somebody that you can sit like, you know, I call my friend Kevin or I call uh, my writing partner, Galena, and I'll say like, here's my problem. Like I'm stuck right here. Right. Well, you can use some of these chat tools. They're getting better where you can do these things too. So like Galena didn't write my urban fantasy and Kevin didn't write my uh, health and fitness, you know, the, the anecdote. Right. But they helped me get through it. And that, I think that's where these, um, I think it's chat. I don't know. The, the GPT chat GPT. Yeah. I think that can help with that. So, and then the other one is also, um, I believe it's chat GPT related where, and that is when, with dictation. So it's starting to get, um, I don't know if you know Nick Thacker, but Nick Thacker um, is a fan of dictation. He's been dictating a while and I've been taking his dictation advice for for a long time. And um, a couple of weeks weeks ago, I saw somebody else posting about using chat GPT to, to dictate. And 
he's like, I didn't know it could do that. So I sent him a, a link to it and he started playing around with it. And like, he's at it. He, he has a new uh, course, a little uh, sort of a, I don't know if it's a master class or a mini course, but it's not it's like 35 bucks on how to dictate. And, um, and it's, it's a really good course. And I think he's just started to put some of that stuff in there too. So I think that's a good tool because it used to be that, you know, dragon or well, dragon, right. Naturally speaking is still like the king, the, the king, right. It's, or the queen, it's the ma It is the best because it learns, right. So it learns rather than you having to change the way you dictate to make, it better to make it learn better than it get better it learns how you talk how you dictate and becomes better because you're teaching it so um but it's very it's limited only windows and the and mac if you have an old mac older mac right, right? and if you somehow manage to still have the software that you bought years ago on the mac because they no longer sell it so so i think there's some promise here with this uh chat gpt to it's you know i don't know that it's going to learn but ai is getting so much better at learning what you mean when you say something and you know connecting all the dots well it couldn't have possibly meant that so let's figure out where it is and put the sentences together so in this case you're just telling it what you're you're just talking to it or transcribing into like a recorder and then feeding it in right. and it pops out the words and uh, the words that you wrote. So I think that's a great use for it right there. Yes. And, and I know Google has a tool. I've got it on my phone. Uh, I, I've got Dragon and uh, I didn't care for the tool they had on the phone. And then Google had one and it does pretty good job translating. And, you know, with Google's, you know, elephant weight behind them, gorilla weight, that they're not just going to let a new tool like that in the market sit. They're, they're, working on it it's going to improve and get better if it's a way of, for them to you know make money and bring in people and controls whatever yeah. market so it's, it's yeah. something definitely not to dismiss yeah I, I believe that you know like all of these companies you know apple bought nuance which is why you know right but, which is why you no longer have it on you know the apple you know the apple version because they brought nuance to make their own text to speech better within their products right and um but microsoft recently announced you know that they're doing stuff with uh with ai speech and so i'm assuming that's that's going to start getting better in microsoft products google has a long already been doing it so that's right. going to start getting better now that these ai tools are behind the scenes i think so i think we're going to start to see bigger and better things but the, the area where i like i like to dictate into a recorder and then feed it in and right now that's uh, there aren't that many tools that will that will do that as well, you know, as yeah. well as Dragon. So I'm interested right. to see how this chat GPT, GPT versions start. Yeah. Yeah, I had to buy an older version of Dragon for the same reason, uh, because it was easier, like when I'm driving to use a recorder and yeah. pull the file in. Yep. Uh, yeah. Open uh, Otter AI will also do that online. Okay. Service. Uh, that's one to look at. You can pull files in, it translates them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Cool, man. All right. A anything else to add before uh, I, I go out into the brave, the cold wilds out there? <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, stay safe. Don't slip on the ice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, keep your ears warm. Keep writing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Thanks, Roland. I appreciate Thanks, it. It's great talking to you again. Nice talking to you. Take Later. care. So today, interesting, exciting episode for my podcast and for my other brand line of work, I want to welcome Jacob Way, 
to the podcast. He is the president of Deepwater Games. Jacob, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I must say, I'm very jealous of your hair. <laughs> I saw the picture. Yeah, the camera doesn't get it all. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's very nice. I, I, my son has long hair. I got not the front long hair. And I used to have not as long, but longer. Very jealous of that. So, Jacob, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. And that'll lead to the rest of the conversation. Because normally, anyone listening is hearing about a new author with a book they've not heard of before. And then we sure. discuss some author stuff. This is like a little different, but I still think it's tied in. So give everyone a rundown of who Jacob Way is. I've been doing entrepreneurship for the last 10 years. I actually started as a print broker that brokered printing of comic books, board RPGs, all sorts of different types of books from Taiwan. And I started that when I was 23. 322, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but <laughs> I'd been doing that for a couple of years. And then I got into the board game space. So entrepreneurship has just been my path for the last 10 years. And now I run Deepwater Games, which is a board game company located in Saginaw, Michigan. If you're a Michiganite or if you're familiar <laughs> with the Midwest, we're right here. Okay. Detroit is about an hour and a half away. And then the middle of the okay. not in nearly in the middle of the state but close to the middle of the state and we make games that are approachable we try and do games that that fit in our mission statement and when i say games i talk about tabletop games so one it has to be a game that is easy to learn that doesn't necessarily mean that it's devoid of strategy but you should be able to learn it pretty quickly two it is a theme or a story that is not just your traditional castle, European castle story, right? We want to represent more than just the traditional story structure. And then three, it has to be affordable. So almost all of our games are under $40, and most of them range in the $20 price point. We had our most success when we first started. Our fourth or third game, something like that, was Welcome To, which was so popular that Daniel Radcliffe talked about it on People in People magazine, which was nice. just, yeah, crazy. Okay. <laughs> Harry Potter himself is talking about one of our board games. And now we have a game called Monstrosity, which sounds like it's right up your alley as it's about art and teaching and learning. And it's currently in all 1,800 Target stores, as well as 600 Barnes & Noble stores as well. Beautiful. Beautiful. I must say, I wish you hadn't said that because I already bought five of your games and uh, I almost <laughs> seem to collect games more than I should. I was just at my cousin's yesterday. We played four different games and taught them all new stuff. I'm like the oh, game master. Man. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We need more of you, my friend. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love games. So here's where I thought it would be great to talk to you for the podcast for two reasons. We have authors that listen and we have new authors I interview. And a lot of times we're talking about not just doing stories, but branding and other avenues that branding can take for other revenue streams, which comics and games is something that could connect to that. Yeah. And I also do a lot with parents, educators for kids. And I think we're missing an opportunity teaching our kids entrepreneurship. And when they get older, they're like, there's no jobs. They're all taken away by the robots now that I can get. And 
I don't want to go to school and spend $300,000 and then get a $25,000 a year job uh, is becoming much more feasible not to go to college. That's a whole Mm -hmm. nother discussion. (laughs) So what you have done is a great path that is a choice that they have more than ever. I think it hasn't been since like the 50s that entrepreneurship and starting your own business has been such a solid choice for people starting out and moving on. And it's not like you have to, oh, oh, I can never get a job somewhere. It could be part of, it could be the only thing, it could grow, and you've even changed. So I just want to jump in, dive in, have some questions, and if there's anything you think would be super relevant, throw it on out. Just a little discussion on it. Sure. Oh, one thing before we jump on, I completely forgot to mention, when we first met and talked, Deepwater Games is part of Oxide Media. Yes. Oxide Media is a conglomerate of different companies, including SourcePoint Press, which was a, is a comic book publisher, probably the biggest in Michigan, if not the Midwest. And for about 18 months, I served as publisher for SourcePoint Press. I dealt with Diamond Comics and yes. Simon and & Schuster, and we sponsored, <clears throat> we were the bad sponsors of New York Comic Con while I was publisher. I have a lot of comic experience as well, so we can dump, jump into there. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And we won't talk about Diamond because we want to keep things upbeat and happy. <laughs> I, I used to do a small magic store, buying and selling trading mm. magic cards and dealt with Diamond. Now yeah. my son works at a store and deals with Diamond. So that's all we'll say about oh, that. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but your table was the whole reason I regretted taking a credit card to that show. Uh, <laughs> I ended up with board games and comics. My son had helped me carry stuff out. Fantastic. Uh, these guys owe me. That's what, that was the deal. <laughs> so let's let's look at the entrepreneurship first. So you're not as old as I am, and you've been doing this for about ten years. You started young, about where my son's at now. Why did you choose to go jump in and say, "Hey, I want to do games," which isn't like I'm opening a restaurant or starting an auto mechanic store. I want to do games and see if I can find people to play them, and I want to see about creating. Why did you decide to do that? And what were some of the struggles you had to overcome with that? That's a great question. So <clears throat> I'll start with, uh, since I was five years old, I've, been, I've wanted to be an entrepreneur. I still can't spell the word, though. I'll tell you that. I can't five say years it usually. Old t- today. <laughs> <laughs> There's like way too many R's and E's in there. It just <laughs> makes no sense. But yeah, I've always been fascinated with business. And, and I think it's mostly my genetics. My my grandfather was an entrepreneur. I never met him, unfortunately. He a famous story about him is he had all of the franchise rights for Wendy's in Texas. Unfortunately, he sold those rights very early in the Wendy's history and did not really cash into that. But it's just been in my blood of tra- blazing trails, right, and trying new things. And I actually did not start in board games. My first business was the print brokerage. And the focus actually was on comic books. And if we go back a little bit even farther, we was starting businesses all throughout my childhood. My earliest known business that I can remember is I would cut limbs off of the trees of my grandma's trees, which she loved. And then I'd fasten them into weapons <laughs> and sell it to the ch- children in the neighborhood. Beautiful. So, yeah. It's- you should have followed that up with packs of band-aids. 
So after you sold the oh, weapon, yeah. you know, that yeah, missed opportunity. <laughs> At eight, I hadn't learned about vertical integration yet. It's, okay. I was a slow learner. <laughs> and then I would sell Pokemon cards. I wish I had actually kept that business up. <laughs> and then I played chess competitively for a little while. And then I was doing a chess coaching business when I was around 18 years old. So it's always been something that I've been experimenting with. And it's really interesting to me when you do see kids that have that spark, that want to do something, that that know that business is like something they're passionate about. Because it, just like art, it happens at a very young age. And fostering that is extremely important. My mom was a single mom and she went to college while she was raising me. And my older brother, who's actually a writer, wrote on a couple of our comic books. Nice. Yeah. And she fostered that, that entrepreneurship. She encouraged it. She tried to connect me with different people that, that would show me the path of how to monetize that. She really didn't have that ambition herself. Skip the generation she at least recognized it in me and tried to foster that. Love the that. path of, yeah, and the path of entrepreneurship is is winding, right? You'll go one day and I was actually a wedding photographer for a little bit. There's all sorts of different businesses that I thought this is the business that I was meant to be in. And in reality, it took a lot of those situations for me to realize what I really want to do. And to say board games is the end goal and the end of my journey, that's where I'm retiring, I would say is not true, but I have found what I like to do. And that is helping creators create. I'm not a creative person as far as writing and drawing goes. I'm creative business-wise, but I'm very good at, at talking to creators and finding a way to make what they have in their mind or have on paper and monetize it onto the market. I don't get bored by spreadsheets. I don't get bored by sales. A lot of those things that creators don't necessarily like to do. And that's where I where I found my niche, I guess, is the best way to put it. And, um, and I think before, that, oh, I'm sorry. I think that tagline, whoever I talked with at the table, that was what they said that kind of sparked me. Okay. I, if that's what their their goal and mission goal is, then that's exactly what I want to talk with. And I love that, what your purpose is, exactly that. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about Axi Media too, is they have a lot of people at that company that still there today that are there to help creators create. And there's a lot of creators there still to this day, right? A lot of the founders are writers and artists and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, that having those businesses that failed, having those jobs that uh, didn't necessarily work out just take you on a path and i think that one of the most important lessons i've learned in life is there is no such thing as a failure it's just or failure isn't a bad thing really you know just because something doesn't work out doesn't mean that you know it was supposed to work out doesn't mean that you did something wrong it might just be that thing isn't meant for you and there's a lesson still be to be learned in there and Looking at it from the author aspect, before even looking at it from a parents and kids aspect, from the author aspect, helping creators create, I think 
a lot of authors get so focused on, I've got to write. And yes, you do. The thing is, mm -hmm. write your next book. That's the best marketing for your current book. Get a series and people buy series more and all that. But the numbers show that you got to have like the book, 20 books to 50K. You actually got to have 40, 50 books before you start seeing enough of a real world profit that you're making money. That's what the latest surveys, numbers, and all that show. And I think for me, it never was, I just want to be a writer and write, and that's all I want to do. It was always other things. I actually have created a couple board games, which I should talk to you about off, off of this interview, but it was always more about the being creative and what I can do with that. And you mentioned something else for the entrepreneurship that it's not, you're not stuck. Even if you have a job that someone hired you, they tell you, be here every day at this time for this long, we'll pay you this much. Here's the job functionality, then the stuff you do. You're stuck. You have to do it what they say, when they say it, how they say it. And you do that every single day. Whereas you, if you get an idea, you can go in another direction. You can add that idea on. And I had an argument with a guy during one of my talks once where he was like, oh, I'd never want my kids to do any of this because I want them to be guaranteed they get a paycheck. I was like, where the heck is that happening at? Because everybody'd love to know that. The, the point was, if you enjoy what you're doing and you're creative, you can always find a way to bring the money in. And that's kind of the message I've tried to get out with some of my talks. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Like there, there is no guarantees in life, right? There is no guarantee that, that job that you have currently is going to be stable. Building value is what entrepreneurship is really about. And even if you have to stray from that path, I've had times in my life where I've had to get a real job for a little bit. And I still bring those lessons I learned from entrepreneurship, how to build value into those companies. And the other thing I love about both comics and writing stories and board games too is and and some video games is that it is those are all things that kids younger than 18 can start doing can do right away you even said you you made weapons and sold them <laughs> I, I have a whole box inside of board games i created when i was a kid based on all my favorite movies indiana jones star wars et and i look at them now and a lot of them are really, like really bad but I, that's, I got started. I got the skill. I got that spark and it built. And now I created a game that people actually played and enjoyed. And I'm working on another one. And same with the writing. Kids can write. They don't have to wait till they're 18 yep. or out of college at 24. And okay, now I'm going to be a writer and write. Because if they have the same 10 to 15 year path that an adult would have, then let's start them when they're 13. That way, when they're 23, they're already going with full-time income as a, a professional experienced already. That's my whole goal with kids is these are skills they can do younger. And by the time they're 18, 20, they're rolling and they know what they're doing. Absolutely. The, the board games are about problem solving, right? That's the best way to look at it is if you break it down into like its base, base equation, right? Is that you're putting problem on the table and you're trying to figure out what the solution is and how do I make the most points in my turn? How do I, I know my opponent's plan. How do I beat them in that plan? Right. 
so problem solving as a skill is something we learn very early. So really having a way, not just, hey, express yourself creatively, but also creating something just in general, right? Like creating a set of rules, creating a scenario, creating pieces, all of these skills that you're teaching your child doesn't necessarily mean that they're only applicable in the world of board games, right? Hey, I'm teaching my kid how to play a board game or make a board game. That's what practical applications does that have? But in reality, it has a lot of practical applications. When I was in high school, studied and played chess competitively. And that problem-solving aspects go back to, I still use them today. And years later, I'm still using some of the things I learned in chess on a daily basis. I don't think, I don't think you should, parents shouldn't think of the actions and the things that they teach their kids, a direct application, right? This should not be, if you teach your kid how to draw a comic or write a comic, that doesn't mean that they have to then become and take this 15-year path to become a comic book artist or writer. It's a skill that you're teaching them that they then can distill different knowledge in different ways. Oh, this is how I express myself. That is one of the most important things to learn as a kid is how to express yourself, right? Who are you as a person? Very true. Yeah. And even today, when I analyze artists, when I analyzed artists for comic books and I analyzed artists for board games, I looked a lot at, has this person figured out their style? Is this an imitation of somebody else or is this person's style? And it was, it didn't really matter necessarily. Okay. Did they accurately represent swords correctly? Or did they get the reflection of the water correct? It's not about accuracy. It's about how you express yourself. And that's so much more important, I feel like, in in life than just learning, okay, you're going to learn all of these elements of art and you're going to become an artist. No. Just like that parent is really concerned about having that kid having the stable income, it should be way more important. That kid feels fulfilled in the stuff that they do in life, right? right? We spend a majority of our waking time working. <laughs> you're not going to get around it oh, unless you're born into money, right? <laughs> but you're not going to get around this idea that you are spending most of your time working. And if you can find something that is enjoyable, like I, I feel like I found, that's much more important than the amount of money you earn doing that thing. As long as you can make a living, being happy is so much more important. Being fulfilled is so much more important. And being teaching your kids how to express themselves is the first step to that, in my mind. Agreed. And if you know how to create, you know how to think logically and yeah. know, that you're never really stuck. I know people who get nervous that, oh, I think my job might disappear. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been out of a job for three weeks. And it's just so make the money. And I, as someone told me that, they're like, look, if you're an entrepreneur and you need money, then figure out how to make that money. And that's the end line. Does it always have to be writing the next book, writing a short story? No, it could be creating a board game, which authors, if you like, oh, maybe I'll just whip up a board game. Really coming up with a concept and then good game mechanics is way harder than you would think. <laughs> it take, 
even a simple game like I did took way more iterations to get it so it was playable. But then for kids also, the other thing that it teaches them, whether it's drawing or creating a D&D module even or something, is that they, one of the studies I mentioned in my talk is the rate of anxiety and depression in young people, meaning under the age of 30, has risen like 18% in the last five, six years. And part of that is they're being told, go find a job and get the gold watch after you retire. And that doesn't exist. So they get out into the world. They're like, and then they get a job that's horrible. And it's no wonder they're getting depressed and anxiety ridden. Whereas if they're at a young age shown, look, you can draw this picture, you can make art, you can create comics, you can make board games, you can write stories, you could figure out some online thing now for stores, t-shirts is big, you know, that they, if they see that and it breaks through the, I have to get a job somewhere else, then they're empowered to go do that. And the world isn't as scary and life isn't as scary. And they realize their lifestyle, they can make choices. That's another part of my talk. If you have a job where you have to live in New York, well, yeah, you have to make a lot of money and you have to make sure you keep that job. But if you're doing that same job, but living here in Ohio, you don't have to earn quite as much money. So that takes on the anxiety away. So that's the other big thing is it teaches kids and empowers them and helps break through some of the scary adult life. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. And that's something I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs that are on their beginning of their journey, right? Is you have to figure out exactly how you define happiness, right? What is happy to you? Rarely is it a dollar amount. Right. <laughs> Rarely is, oh, happiness is $100,000 every year. That's not true. That's not like I could be making $100,000 a year and be in Manhattan and feel like sh- crap. I could be in, I could be making $100,000 a year and live in Ohio and feel much better because it's much more affordable, right? So happiness, you have to figure out what that is. The other thing is that creating things in my mind, one of, one of the cool things about when you start creating things and realizing that you can create board games that people enjoy, you can create comic books that people want to read is that everything around us has been made by human, everything around us the computer that we're talking on, the webcam that is filming us, the coffee that I'm drinking, it's all made <laughs> by human. Like this, these things are made by people just, just like us, just the same flaws. And it's easy to be like, oh, Nikola Tesla and Albert Einstein. These people were the unachievable levels of reality. But in, like, how many of those inventions are you using on a day-to-day basis? There's other things that are in your life that other people made that are much more realistic. And I think realizing that you can have an impact on life itself is extremely important. The things that are built around you, the road that you drive on is built by somebody just like you. And the improvements and the improvements in the road material, somebody thought of that. Sure, some engineer probably went to school, learned new materials, and they're learning new manufacturing techniques, but somebody said, hey, let's use this hexagon carbonite factored material for a road and how much better is that? And then that business sprang up. And I know the last, some of the studies I've seen that the rate of single person employment jobs that they've started has gone up 20% since COVID started, 25% over previous years instead of 2%, things like that. 
And there's endless opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Our country was founded on small businesses. Yeah. And that's the backbone of our economy. People yes. don't realize that. It's easy to think, oh, wow, Walmart has 100,000 employees or something like that. It's, it's not the majority employer. It's usually small businesses. Right. You go drive down your street and see how many companies you pass that have less than 10 people that work with work for them. It's crazy to think. Yep, so, absolutely. Um, so what do you, when you say you help creators create, what exactly do you do to, to accomplish that? That's a great question. My role in most creation processes varies dramatically. So sometimes I'll be brought a product that is pretty well thought out as far as theme, as far as marketability, as far as concept, core mechanics of the game, versa with comics, right? There's a lot of similar thoughts in comics, just different things like, is this story captivating? Are the characters relatable? What perspective are you telling the story from? I see a lot of writers don't really think about perspective. But in reality, most of the time you have to be like, who is telling the story? Where, you know, what information do they know? Where are, what's still a mystery to them? So it depends on, on where the product is brought in on the process. So I'll give you an example. I have a game right now that we're working on. It'll be released at Gen Con of this year. And the concept, the mechanism of what you do in the game was very solid. Very enjoyable, very approachable, created conversation. And this is a party game, so that's those are things are very important. But there was no theme, and there was no hook. I went into the pro- project thinking about those things. Okay, what is the theme? What is the hook? Where are we, where do we hit so that we can sell more units of this game? Because I know the the mechanism, the way that people play the game is very enjoyable. When I help creators create, it, it's really on the product and it's dependent on where they are with the product. But in the majority of the situations, my expertise lies in markets, understanding mass market, understanding hobby, understanding Amazon, convention sales. Those places, they look for certain things. They look for a game that's understandable by just looking at the cover. They look at the back of the box. Is the back of the box explain the game in three simple steps? Those things are are difficult as a creator because you get kind of wrapped in this is the thing and i know so much about this game and like how can i tell the story i see this a lot with comics too right is like how can i tell the story of my comic book in a paragraph on the back of the box back of the book <laughs> right how do i summarize 18 months of my writing into a single paragraph and it's easy to get lost in the weeds and be too close to a project so that you can't easily summarize it to consumers, right? And that's why you need to find people that, that can help you with that, right? Either it's an editor or it's a co-writer or it's what, whatever you need in that situation. Sometimes it's just nice to have that outside fresh perspective. So that's where I see myself fitting in a lot of these situations is assessing the marketability, the sales ability of the product, and expanding on it. And another thing in board games, it's not necessarily in comics or, or books, is expansions. How do you continue the product? How do you, I guess you'd look at it as sequels or 
storylines or different arcs for comics, but how do you continue the product so that it can continue uh, staying on shelves? How can it keep fresh in the minds of the consumers? So that's kind of where I see myself helping creators. The most. So a lot like an editor, the creator came up with it and you help fine tune it from the outside perspective. And like a publisher, if someone's going more traditional route, We've got this product with the editor and the creator have created it, but now we need someone to help get it out there and put it out in the world. And as you've proven, you started a company that does all of that and you get everyone, but it's not saying that somebody could not say, I have this game and I want to put it out there. We have more avenues for that in today's world than ever before. Uh, Absolutely. It's still, you can have that choice. If I like making games, but I don't necessarily want to spend all the time going to the cons and setting up tables and pushing it, then find somebody like you and make that agreement. And everyone does what they do best. I've got four or five game ideas that I, if I sat and worked on them and really focused instead of just toying with it on weekends, I could have five games in within a couple of years. And it would make more sense for me to hook up with you to push that out. And that's the other thing I think parents with younger kids don't understand is it doesn't all have to fall on the shoulders of that kid. They, any business they want to run doesn't have to be full-time, it could be part-time. And there are other companies out there. Fiverr is a great example as something that people can get work and do full-time work, but not have to necessarily do everything if they don't want to start from scratch. And I like that aspect of what you're doing with that. Much it sounds much more approachable than bigger name game companies. <laughs> yeah. It, it depends on the way I always phrase it. Those same people that are looking at self-publishing and looking at trying to start a business is like, are, what is, what do you want to do? Right. What is, if you close your eyes and you said, okay, this is what I'd want to do in this creative process. And if I then, have you open your eyes and say, okay, but what, how do you feel about tape? How do you feel about boxes? How do you feel about shipping rates? Those types of things that are like business BS, right? What is a purchase order? How do you uh, acquire distribution deals? Those things that are like boring business things in the creative world are very important if you want to run your own business and self-publish. Now, if you define your success differently, right? And you just say, I just want people to read my pro- my book. I just want it to be out in the world. And maybe that success means I put it on Amazon Kindle. It doesn't have to be in bookstores. It doesn't have to be in Simon & Schuster or the he who not, must not be named. Like defining your sec- success differently means that you can do different things and you can decide differently if you want a publisher or not. And self-publishing, like you said, has never been easier. Now, Amazon's making it a little bit more difficult, <laughs> as Amazon wants to do. But you still, you have so many different avenues for which to publish and promote your work. There's Zoop, there's Kickstarter, there's Indiegogo, there's all sorts of different avenues. And if you define your success as, I just want it to be out there, and I want people to play my product, and I want it to reach to people, then... Having a $5,000, $10,000 Kickstarter for your comic book is amazing. It allows you to do everything that you want to do. If you have higher ambitions for that product or you want to get there faster, some people 
bringing in a publisher in that situation is important. There's a lot of people that self-publish that are okay with where they're at. And there's a lot of people that self-publish that are trying to reach a new, a different platform, right? Like a different size of, of their publishing. So yeah, I think it's really important to define success to yourself before you start that process. The other thing is, if you go through a publisher, it's a collaborative thing, right? I'm never going to sign a game that the designer doesn't want my input because then what am I doing? Why am I publishing this, right? I'm never going to sign a design that I can't talk to the designer and say, okay, we think that adding this is going to help that, right? That's not a good collaborative relationship. And as a creator, you have to assess yourself as being able or not able to take that criticism or that collaboration. Because as being a writer yourself, right, there is a lot of circumstances where writers aren't able to take constructive criticism or constructive collaboration. That's the job of the publisher, right? Like they, they are taking a large part of that and publishing your work. So you have to be ready to work with them to make a good product, right? Yeah. So I know you don't do so much with the comics anymore, but I myself have thought of doing a small prequel comic for my current series. I know other authors out there have said, maybe I'll turn it into a comic or a graphic novel. And I've talked to a couple of people who just made a straight graphic novel instead of doing the book version. So what types of things do you look for? What would advice would you give them to say, hey, these are the types of things you need to know about comics to get a story in there? Because you got books and you got movies and comics are a little bit somewhere in between. It's got aspects of visual movie, but you got to keep that story because you can't hear anything and it's on a page. So what advice or whatever about that? Sure. I think it goes back to that style aspect. There are a lot of comic creators, comic writers, comic artists that tried to emulate what they've seen before. And I think that's important to learn, right? I think it's important to study the masters, study how they did things. But it, the things that are getting attention and getting a lot of eyes are the things that are unique. Right behind me, I'm lucky enough to have a Matt Kent piece of art here. He did. He's a big board games fan. I don't know if Matt Kent from Mind Management is his biggest okay, uh, piece. No, I don't, he has but... depth, and he's also got a, his own label at Dark Horse right now. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and he's a huge board game fan as well. So that's how I got him to do me a little piece there. Beautiful. The thing is, Matt Kent is so unique. His stuff is him, right? And I think that's really important is finding your identity as a creator. And that's really difficult, though, I will say. It's much easier to be like, okay, I like the Avengers. I'm going to write an Avenger-type story. And I'm not saying that you can't write a good Avenger-type story, but if you want to be a creator and you want to self-publish or you want to get your stories out there and you don't want to work for the big two, then you have to find your brand and your identity. So that's, first of all, the most important thing. Finding people that can contribute to your piece of work and not just do exactly how you scripted the panels to look. I think 
is another very important part. The best pieces of comic book that were submitted to us had that feeling to it, right? That it didn't, it's not necessarily just the writer dictating to the the artist, this is what I want. It's more of, here's the story, here's the script, this is what I want people to say. I want you to take it and run with it. And that's super important because as writers, it's easy to be like, okay, this is how I envision it. This is how it plays out in my mind. But in reality, like a lot of times that doesn't look as good as you imagine it. And finding an artist that will like your intention into visual visual piece is extremely important. And then finding an artist that complements the style of writing that you have is extremely important as well. Yeah, Those are the things that I think are important, right? Like, I think the comic book industry itself is a very tumultuous, we'll say. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably the most conservative (laughs) viewpoint I could put on it. As PC as we can get. (laughs) Yep, yep. Tumultuous is what we're going to go with. Um, (laughs) And if you define success in the comic book world as I need to make all my money back (laughs) that I invested into this and I need to be paid a fair hourly rate. It's going to be very difficult for you. I think you can find success in the comic book industry. And I think that I know a lot of people that have started in the comic book industry. Like Paul Jenkins is a a friend of mine and he started writing Marvel books and did a bunch of that stuff and then moved over to video games and started writing for video games. There's a lot of career paths to make a lot of money writing. Or when we say money, we really mean have a happy and successful life. But I think that ties really right back to that defining success and defining happiness in what you create. Right. Because I, I know a lot of people that have just spent tens of thousands of dollars on artists. That's just a hobby of theirs. And it's just... They're creating comics because they want to create something. And that's their happiness, right? They don't necessarily need to make all that money back. And comics is just very difficult. Anytime you deal with a $4 product, a market that's probably three to four million people at the most, that's not, it's not an easy market to, to succeed in. And, and like regular novels, books, it's not always one is go make your success. It's that series. It's the 20th book you may do. And sometimes you got to keep going if that's really what you love and appreciate. And I think the way things are in the world with more people working from home, people getting used to Fiverr and all the online, everything. And and Kindle, you can even publish independently, though it's very hidden and they don't do much with it. But the point is, you can do it a lot easier, cheaper than you could have even five years ago, let alone 20, 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. And people are more open to the things that are not the Marvel and DC superheroes. My, my son and I, he wants to do a podcast where each episode, he picks a graphic novel that we discuss. And none of them oh, cool. are the superheroes that you've heard of at all. The first one we're doing is Murder Falcon. And I have it right here on my desk. I'm oh, halfway through it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's the type of thing. More and more people are open to that. So you've got more of a chance, but just like you're probably not going to publish one book and make as much money as Stephen King or JK Rowling, you're not going to make one comic 
and become Spawn or Batman, and you're not going to make one game and have Monopoly that's played 100 years from now, necessarily. Just catch your expectations. (laughs) Yeah, just find what you really love about the thing that you're doing and try to do that more. Like for some people like me, it's selling more stuff. (laughs) For other people, it's actually getting the products there and like creating a page and seeing that page finally in drawing form. And that's interesting to them. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right on the money that just keep creating. And I think another important thing is push boundaries, try new things for yourself. If you look at some of the most famous painters in the world and the ones that have museums after them, you'll see that they experimented. They tried different things. Van Gogh was not the same painter that he is, that he was at the end, right? Like when he started, it was very much, he was doing life studies, studies of people in a very realistic setting. And he moved as he went on into more post-impressionist, right? And he did a lot more work on colors and experimented and pushed the boundary. And he eventually found who he was as an artist. You know, those, just like my path in business, I had to try all of those different things to understand what I enjoy and what I like. So Mm -hmm. in your creative world, in your creative career, you have to try different things. And like you've said, what makes you happy which I think is something the even younger generation than you is grasping more than the boomers and the Gen Xs like me, that they want to do something that makes them happy. And that doesn't necessarily mean hitting that hundred, $200,000. It's something that makes me happy. If that means I don't own a big car, if that means I don't own a big house and I don't have lots of stuff inside that house, that makes me happy. And I think this, the younger generations are getting that a little bit more than us past generations have. And, oh, I lost my thought I was going to say, I'm sorry. But so when you were doing the comic books, what did you look for in the comics to say, yeah, I want to get that one out and published? The biggest thing was definitely, is this person unique? Is their story unique? There's a thousand stories of superheroes. How does this one about superheroes, we didn't really do much superheroes, but just to give you an example, how does this one story of a superhero hit me differently? One of my favorite books we ever published was a book called Darling, brilliant book about drug addiction, not kid-friendly, unfortunately, but it was about this character who was going through a heroin addiction and how his life just was affected by heroin, but also how his mind interpreted the world around him while on heroin as well. And there's just, it's just a gorgeous book. I highly recommend it. And that's the type of stuff that unfortunately it's not always a commercial success, but it's just a story that needs to be told and a story that needs to go out there because one of the other brilliant things about this book is that it's based on reality. The author's brother died of a heroin overdose and he found his brother's journals. And in these journals, he would talk about all of these things that happened to him. But in reality, none of these things happened to him. It's just his brain 
imagining these things wow. through wow. the drug addiction. Yeah. And- it's it's crazy. It's a crazy book. It's and it's drawn in the style that's Miyazaki, but different. Wow. It's just so weird. And that's an example that can get out there and get told that would have never seen the light of day 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. I know I had a friend in late 2000s, him and another friend were writing a book. They had eight issues done. They did it all. I had it all ready, but they got held up. First of all, Marvel and DC weren't even interested. Didn't even want to talk about it. They mm-hmm. go try and do it independently before all the self-publishing stuff. And Diamond basically said, eh, no, nah, not interested. So they were done. They had no avenue to do anything with what we have. They had they would have had a chance to get that out there now. And that's I remember what I was gonna say is what you were saying earlier. I think authors quite often forget this. Don't worry about writing this book because oh, I want to make money and I have to make a lot of money. Worry more about I want to write and my craft of writing, my storytelling abilities, and I'm just doing that. Okay, now I'll do the next one. And each one is something where you've learned, you've expanded, you've gone different. And pretty soon you'll have a lot of stuff behind you that you've written and your craft, your writing will be where it is making lots of money. And the things that you already did don't need to be forgotten. You can bring those back in. The back order nowadays is crazy how much people buy stuff that was came out years ago. That would have never oh, yeah. happened before too. Yeah, no, it, it's a hundred percent true, right? Like it's, you just got to keep creating and some of the best writers that I know, just they just kept doing things, creating things. And then eventually it caught on and eventually they either found their audience or they, or, and, or they perfected their craft. And I think that's important. I, the other thing that I always was looking for is somebody that knew how to talk to me as a publisher, as far as what we were publishing, right? So I'll give you an example. Don't pitch adult content to Marvel, right? It seems super simple, but that's the same idea goes to don't pitch horror books to action comics or don't pitch kids-friendly stuff to heavy metal, right? <laughs> you have to figure out who's the publishers or who the publishers are that you are interested in publishing with, where your story fits in, and don't waste the time of the publishers that don't fit this blanket email to everybody saying, Oh, Hey, I have this great book and it's going to really work with you. It's superheroes. We don't do superheroes. You can see a publisher's catalog and get a vibe of who they are pretty, pretty quickly. And if you're not doing the research, when you have a book to put push to that publisher, they're less likely to be like, Oh, wow. You're sending us another pitch that doesn't fit, right? That's so important to to really think about is who is the publisher that I want to work with? Who should I focus on talking to? Who should I try and craft a tailored pitch to this publisher and say, hey, this is this book. I think it will fit in really well because it fits within your horror genre and it's similar to this and this. That kind of stuff is way more important than the shotgun effect of here, let me pitch to every publisher I can find the email of. Agreed. And that's advice. I've seen the Facebook groups, authors get on there and they're like, 
hey, I just finished my first book. You should all go buy it. It's written for everybody and you'll all love it. And chirp, nobody answers. It's like, dude, this is a group for authors. We're all here for author advice and your book is a fantasy. No one cares. We've got 20 other fantasy authors right here. And I'm being a little crass and cruel, but the point is, like you said, no, figure correct. it out where the best place is. Absolutely agreed. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you an experiment you can do at home. Okay. Go onto your TikTok if you have one and scroll through and try and find the most obscure video that's just made for you. Is it I I have a, a red headed, red haired husky and there's not many red haired huskies. So right. but on TikTok they know that and they post they give me videos of red haired huskies. And then go to that person's profile and see how many views that video has. And you would be surprised how niche of uh, content you're going to get. And then how many people watch that niche of content, right? The world is massive and you don't need a billion people to like your product to be successful, right? You only need several thousand, right? That's the reality of the world, right? And why waste your time? trying to make the most commercial like Disney products, right? Why are you right. why are you trying to make the next Pixar movie when in reality you could be Guillermo del Toro, right? Not everybody likes Guillermo del Toro, right? Not, <laughs> true, not everybody true. likes how bloody his stuff is, but he has a fan base, right? And you can even go drill down farther and farther. We worked with Adam Green. Adam Green's a great example. Hatchet. He yeah. made the horror movies Hatchet. And Holliston, we did the comic books for Holliston. And you would be surprised how many people are fans of this canceled TV show that only had two seasons. It's, it's, you don't need the world to love what you're doing. You just need to find who in the world loves what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jacob, I've kept you for an hour. I was like, oh my gosh, it's already been an hour. Oh, really? Jeez. Yeah, Yeah, I'm surprised. Yes. (laughs) I appreciate the talk. It's been great. I think you you had tons of great advice for both authors to look at other revenue streams. And these are some things that can be done. And parents that it's a reality that this could be something your kids could do in the future. And they're not missing out on life or anything. Get it all together. Would you have any last words of advice for parents and kids or authors or anything about your company, the games, the comics that you'd like people to know about? And what's your website? Let everybody know about that too. Sure. So our website is deepwatergaming.com. We're on TikTok, we're on Facebook, Twitter, all of Instagram, all the different places. We're actually doing a revamp of our website and everything pretty soon. Keep watching for that. As far as recommendations go, I definitely recommend Darling. I'm trying to think of some other ones that are just fantastic. There's also this other comic that we published. Oh my gosh, why can't it? Buzzard and Bone, which is Hatfield versus the McCoys meets Harry Potter. I, Crazy. I, I remember seeing that one. I think I may have got that one. I've got a huge oh. comic book stack that I have to get through that I'm way behind. On. And then I do stuff Buzzard like- Buzzard and you know, Bone is great. Yeah, I think that was one of them I picked up because I, I can picture it. it. It rings a bell. Mm. And then anything Matt Kent is fantastic too. Like I, I love reading and things from creators that have that style that they've nailed. And then as far as board games go, 
boop right back here is made by one of my good friends. It's at Barnes and Noble stores. He also made Hughes and Cues, which is a great party game as well. I That's played that Switch. one. Yeah, Hughes and Cues is fantastic. Like two, three in the morning, being a little wasted with a bunch of friends, and we were laughing hysterically. <laughs> and it's now we mention that game. Like, oh my god, don't mention that game again. <laughs> yeah, I played that one. <laughs> so he made this game Boop, which uh, is basically I'm a chess nerd, right? So it's just hit the right places oh. for me. It's just like a, a strategy game where you try and move your cats onto this actually got a quilt in it. It's super, super cool. Oh, um, but besides that, I also like uh, Wavelength is one of the games I always recommend for people. Very fun party game. It's about communication. And then our games, Monstrosity is one of our biggest hits. It's in Target and Barnes & Noble. Nice. Uh, but my advice really is just, you're going to learn a lot by just consuming content, right? I almost always have a podcast on, a YouTube video, a show on Netflix, and just observe, right? You can observe and see, oh, why did they do this? Why did they tell the story like this? My fiance loves it when I'm interrupting and pausing the show and be like, that's why they set up this <laughs> thing and this story. and It's foreshadowing. But you know what the great thing about that is you're learning about story structure, yeah, right? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most important things. Even if your child isn't interested in creating or they are more shy about actually creating things, get them to consume. Get them to consume content. It's not a horrible thing that they're on YouTube, right? It's not a horrible thing that they're watching TV shows. It's not a horrible thing that they're playing video games. I, I talk that exact same thing to parents, yeah. Yeah. They're learning about the way that we, storytelling is the reason that we have civilization, right? That is what has brought us together as a, as a oh my gosh, science term. That is what has brought us together as humans. Right. <laughs> species. There we go. Species. Okay. <laughs> this ability to tell stories and interact with each other. Well, that I think that's probably my biggest tip for parents. If they're worried about getting their kids to create stuff, get your kids to interact with creations. Bring them, bring them to museums. Let them play video games. Talk about those video games and story. I'm like, oh, what did you think about the story in this game? Oh, what did you think about the story in, in this comic book? That's super important. And for them to start analyzing those things and thinking about them more critically is important as well. Agreed. If you like chess games, have you tried Hive? Have you played that one? I haven't tried Hive. I have heard it's really good, but yeah, I haven't. I've tried to avoid. I'm really obsessed with party games right now, okay. just because I find them fascinating. Because it's not designing fun <laughs> is much more difficult than you can even imagine. Yeah. You so, ought to try a floor plan. I played that <laughs> with a bunch of people. <laughs> we got that. Where one. is that one? I and, have that on my desk here. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I played that with <laughs> my cousin and a group of people. And my son loves Gladius or Gladius. Yep, it's Gladius of, is great. Gladius, that's yep. one of his favorites now. And uh, what was the other one we played? Oh, we got Sovereign Sky, but we haven't played Sovereign that Skies, one yet. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Whoever was talking to me at your booth was like, oh, this is special and it's a special packaging. And we got the expansion and I'm like, you're just like just to my arm right there. But a hive I know. trained them hive, all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hive is very good. It's very chess. Though my son and his friend said they figured it out how to basically make it a 
stalemate in the game oh, interesting. every single time. And so wow. they're like, eh. So I bought the three additional pieces that they offered as expansions. And I'm like, here, this mm-hmm. changes the game a lot. There you so, go. Yeah, <laughs> good game. I, I like abstracts because like, that's where my background is. But abstracts are, are hard for consumers. Like They don't do super, super well. So it's hard for me to, I get excited about, we have this one game that's been in our queue of pitched games for a while. And it's just this beautiful two player abstract game that just plays very easy, but it's got a lot of depth and strategy in it. And I just can't do it because it's just not, or I can't pull the trigger on it because it's just not like in our realm of what our consumers Uh... are looking for. So it's sad. I never actually, like that's the dirty secret of when you get into the business world of a creative world, right? So like comic books, board games, you rarely get to actually do the thing that you're selling right. <laughs> much. I, ba- I barely get to play board games outside of the prototypes that we that we have. I mostly watch people review and talk about board games. And I barely get to, I, I, at the time, I barely got to read books outside of the books that we published. <laughs> I understand so, that. Yeah. Have you played Isle of Cats? I have. That is a brilliant game too. Yeah, that's, that's super good. Talking about esoteric, a little weird. It, my son loves it. Took me a bit to get into it. I'm like, what the heck is going on in this game? I love polynomial games. Okay. Patch Patchwork is one of my favorite. Yes, I love that favorites. one too. So that's good. A good one. It's about quilting too. So it's like really weird. Oh, what the heck? Yeah, but, yeah. I love that one. Picked it up. Oh, my favorite game store is having a sale. Where's my credit card? Yeah, <laughs> Bad me. All right, <laughs> Jacob, I appreciate you taking so much time. It's been really cool talking to you. I personally may be in touch because I do have a few ideas for a couple games. Yeah. I'm toying with the idea of using it as part of my writing business and attaching okay. it somehow or trying to put it out myself or finding somebody to do it and which way I want to go. And Sure. You know, uh, so maybe we'll be in touch on that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, just in general, my email is jacob at deepwatergaming.com. And I don't mind that being out there because I may not always have a ton of time to to chat over email. But when I find the time, I try and respond to everybody's email and talk to them about creation. I think it's important to have a bridge to understand like the business aspect just as much as you understand the writing aspect. So I'm always trying to answer questions about, okay, what the in, what is the industry like? What does it take to succeed in this industry? But also I love looking at people's creations, trying to give some feedback like, oh yeah, this is great. Oh, this needs some more here. But yeah. Cool. Great. No, I, I look forward to it. Nice. All right, Jacob, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was great meeting you and chatting with you. Great meeting you too. Thank you so much, Stephen. Yep. Have a good day. And I'll let you know after we play Sovereign Skies and the others what we thought of them. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Only good stuff, though. Yeah. (laughs) Gladius loved it. Floor plan I liked. It took us a bit to click with it. I got Sovereign Skies left. Oh, and Fantastic Factories. Fantastic Factories is really good. It's a solid engine building game. Very puzzly. If you like that type of game, it's going to hit really well. Oh, good. Maybe we'll have to move it up in the let's try this new game list. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. 
Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.